Chinese spies inside the U.S. Navy. Two American sailors arrested on charges of selling sensitive military information to China. Heavy rainstorms moving toward northeastern China, the nation's largest grain belt. Farmland submerged underwater and harvest season disrupted. A unique feature offered by a Chinese surveillance camera maker. Keywords like black, white and yellow used to tag and track people as they appear in footage. What's the Biden administration's China policy? And how does it compare to the Trump administration's? An expert breaks it down. Point. I think that we see a high degree of continuity with the Trump administration. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Two U.S. Navy sailors secretly spying for China. The two were charged with exactly that in two federal indictments on Thursday. They are accused of providing sensitive information about the U.S. military to the communist regime in exchange for bribes. Here's more. Two U.S. Navy sailors have been arrested on charges related to national security and tied to China. The FBI arrested 26-year-old Petty Officer Win Heng Zhao, also known as Thomas Zhao, from Monterey Park on Wednesday. He worked at Naval Base Ventura County. He is charged with conspiracy and receipt of a bribe by a foreign official. The charges demonstrate the PRC's determination to obtain information that is critical to our national defense by any means so it could be used to their advantage. The alleged conduct also represents a violation of the solemn obligation of members of our military to defend our country, to safeguard our secrets, and to protect their fellow service members. The indictment alleges that Zhao received bribes from a Chinese intelligence officer in exchange for disclosing non-public, sensitive U.S. military information. In addition, we charge that Mr. Zhao took photographs of electrical diagrams and blueprints for a radar system located at a U.S. military base in Okinawa, Japan. We also allege that Mr. Zhao transmitted to the intelligence officer working for the People's Republic of China details about the Navy's operational security, including photographs and videos of the interior of naval bases located at Ventura and at San Clemente Island, which is the Navy's only live fire facility used for testing military equipment and operations. In exchange for the information Zhao provided, he was paid about $14,800. This reportedly began in August 2021 and continued through at least May 2023. If he is convicted, Zhao would face up to 20 years in federal prison. And in a separate case, 22-year-old U.S. Navy sailor Jin Chao Wei, or Patrick Wei, was also arrested Wednesday for espionage charges. He was stationed at Naval Base San Diego. According to our indictment, Wei provided China with photographs of military hardware, including guns, vehicles, and planes. He delivered information about U.S. Marines involved in an upcoming international maritime warfare exercise, and he sold scores of technical and mechanical manuals related to the operation and power structures of amphibious assault ships. Some of the manuals contain information deemed quote-unquote critical technology by the U.S. Navy. In both cases, the Chinese intelligence officer directed the Navy sailors to hide their conspiracy and destroy evidence of the schemes. Racial profiling, that's the allegation swirling around Chinese surveillance camera maker Dahua. Human rights activists are raising concerns after Dahua admitted it has skin color analysis built into its systems. There are four definitions, black, white, yellow and unidentified. And these cameras are sold across Europe. That's according to U.S. surveillance research group IPVM.
Daihua defending its system to IPVM, saying it does not target any specific group or ethnicity, adding it's a basic feature of a smart security system. The research group, noting no other companies, offer the so-called basic feature, besides another Chinese surveillance company, Hikvision. IPVM adding this raises, quote, grave concerns for tracking what Dahua considers black, yellow and white people. Dahua has come under fire before. Reports noting as early as 2020, Dahua faced accusations of targeting the Uyghur's ethnic minority with its products in the Xinjiang region. IPVM reports Hikvision and Dahua have contracts worth $1 billion with Xinjiang officials. The U.S. and other countries say China is committing genocide against the Uyghurs. Both Hikvision and Dahua have found themselves on the U.S. blacklist. That's after the Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, determined in 2022 that these companies pose a threat to U.S. national security. Sales of some of their products are banned in the U.S. No such ban is in play in Europe, but there are some steps. The European Union revised a draft of the artificial intelligence law in June this year, planning to completely ban the use of facial recognition systems in public places. Severe floods hit China's biggest grain-producing province Friday. Known as China's Great Northern Granary, the province of Heilongjiang is suffering from the aftermath of Typhoon Daksui. The house, the house is flooded. It's gone, see? The house is washed away. The house is still in the water. The provincial capital is waterlogged, with farmlands, bridges, houses and city blocks submerged underwater. A video shows two vehicles plunging into a sinkhole on a highway right next to a swollen river. Paddy fields are also flooded. Residents in low-lying areas were told to evacuate. Large areas of farmland were flooded in China's most famous rice-producing city, Wuzhen. Villagers told local media that the flood would destroy all of their grains in days. More severe weather conditions, including tornadoes, are expected. Authorities raised the flood alert twice in two days. Further south, in the corn-growing region of Jiling province, authorities have evacuated over 12,000 people as heavy rain fell over the past three days. The flood is causing great disruptions to China's grain harvest, raising concerns of a food crisis across the nation. Other than causing huge losses in agriculture, the flood also hit industrial areas in the region. This causing anxious investors to seek answers from companies. A new front in the battle against Beijing's infiltration has opened up. U.S. House members Virginia Fox and Mike Gallagher recently sent a letter to UC Berkeley expressing grave concerns over the university's ties to the Chinese Communist Party. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more about their concerns. Representatives Virginia Fox and Mike Gallagher sent a letter to UC Berkeley. They are concerned over the university's ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Representative Fox says the CCP is doing everything it can to infiltrate academic institutions in the United States and that there's cooperation going on between Berkeley and a university in China. And we want some answers. Berkeley is not reporting the millions of dollars that it's getting from China for this institute, and we're demanding answers on what's going on. We're very concerned 
that there could be infiltration from the Chinese Communist Party getting um, technology and secrets from us that they can then in turn use against the United States. Fox says such research collaborations may look innocent, but what kind of information the CCP is gathering or how they might use it is unknown. They have hired Berkeley faculty to work on these projects as well as having um, Chinese work on the projects. And we just want to know. It's important that there be transparency. Fox says Section 117 of the Higher Education Act compels universities to report to Congress any money that's coming in that's $250,000 or more. But the representative says the Biden administration is not forcing the universities to make such reports. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The U.S. is still waiting for a response from China after inviting China's reassigned foreign minister Wang Yi to visit Washington, D.C. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said Thursday that they haven't heard back from the Chinese regime yet. According to Reuters, the CCP expressed its willingness to maintain communications, but didn't go into further details. The invitation comes after the CCP abruptly removed Wang's predecessor, Qing Gan, who was only in the job for seven months. This raising questions about transparency, as Qing hasn't been seen in public since last month. Wang, who served as China's foreign minister for nine years, got reassigned to his old role. He met Blinken in Indonesia in July during Qing's absence. Blinken emphasized the importance of continuing vital conversations with China and extended the invitation. China is reportedly pouring resources into making legacy microchips, and it has the West worried. So what's going on in China's chip war with Washington? NTD's Evelyn Lee spoke to Grant Newsham, retired Marine colonel and senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy, for more. Good morning, Grant. The EU and the U.S., as I just mentioned, are worried about China pouring the investments into that legacy chip market. What are they worried about? Can you run us through what it means for the economy and security? Well, the, the specific thing that they're worried about is that uh, China can make a ton of these rather average chips, the so-called legacy chips. They're not the highest end, but they're ones you need uh, to make all sorts of things. And, and that's really the immediate uh, concern when China says, okay, if you're going to restrict uh, our supplies of the high-end uh, semiconductors, our ability to obtain them, well, we're going to go after these chips that ultimately are just as important, and we're going to dominate the market, if not control it. Uh, so that's the specific concern here. But it's part of a much larger uh, trade war, uh, which is actually a manifestation of a real war that's ongoing uh, between the, the Chinese and uh, the free world. Now, with that, when you say dominate the market, can you go in a bit more detail? How, uh, what are the risks that really come with that, and maybe where does it put us in that trade war? Well, it's one manifestation of the communist Chinese having us dependent on so many things. Uh, there's obviously pharmaceuticals, drugs that everybody uses, legal drugs. Uh, China supplies Ill illegal ones as well, but I'm just talking about uh, lawful pharmaceuticals, that vast majority of the uh, materials for these or the actual drugs themselves come from China. That's a form of dependency. There's high-end magnets that America needs for F-35 fighter jets. Uh, well, most of those come from China. 
So it really, it's the, this concern over dependency on the Chinese regime and the Chinese using it as a weapon against us. So how big of a deal just recently, you know, the gallium and um, germanium restrictions that just kicked in this month, how big of a deal are they? When China does announce a boycott of these uh, or a, a cutoff uh, in their supplies of these materials, what that does is it tends to open up other uh, sources of supply. Uh, it'll suddenly become profitable for other companies, other countries to produce these things. Even the United States can produce them. Thank you so much, Colonel Grant Newsham. I appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. What are the core pillars of the Biden administration's China strategy? How does it compare to that of the Trump administration? NTD's Steve Lance speaks to Roy Kamphausen, president of the National Bureau of Asian Research, for a closer look. Roy Kamphausen, thank you so much for joining us. Steve, great to be here. Roy, uh, the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party held a hearing uh, with expert uh, testimony on the Biden administration's strategy in dealing with China, more specifically when it comes to conducting business with the CCP. How would you assess the Biden administration's early China strategy thus far in its continuity, I guess you would say, with uh, previous administrations? Well, the, the administration says that it has three pillars to its China strategy. First, to invest. That is to strengthen um, aspects of, of the United States, our, our infrastructure, our uh, uh, various programs domestically. Second, to align, that is to work very closely with allies and partners. And then the third, to compete. And it's in this last point, I think, that we see a high degree of continuity with the Trump administration. So I think it's notable that Secretary Yellen, when she was in, in, in Beijing um, and, and shortly after did a press conference and she said, I think it's premature to talk about lifting um, many of the sanctions and controls that were put in place by the Trump administration. So I think that shows a high degree of continuity, uh, even if uh, some of the stylistic dimensions are perhaps a bit different from the past administration. Roy, some are raising concerns about the White House's uh, pushing back on certain provisions in the NDAA uh, that come across as being, I guess, tougher on China in certain regards, such as with fentanyl, more transparency with the Pentagon and who they work with on government funding projects. Uh, do you think these are valid concerns? Well, the industry, American industry, is really putting a lot of pressure on the administration, it's clear. Um, uh, and I think the, the approach that they're taking is to proceed um, perhaps methodically uh, so that they don't lose parts of the coalition along the way. Um, at, you know, that the discussion about outbound investment controls has been going on for over a year. We're still awaiting the instructions and, and plan from the Biden administration. And I think that's indicative of the pressure that they're feeling from industry. Uh, but they're, we're going to get something. It might not be exactly uh, the most ambitious plan, but we're going to get something, and it's going to be important and I think help to make a difference. Roy Kamphausen, thank you so much for joining us. Steve, great to see you. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus on YouTube. We're now sharing a shortened version of our program here after being demonetized for two years. Here's what to look out for in our second half. Democracy versus communism, illustrated through a poignant look back at the Tiananmen Square massacre on June 4, 1989. As unarmed students demanded democracy and transparency, the Chinese communist regime responded with tanks. What happened on that day and what was it like? 
We sat down with Sun Xue, journalist, writer, and human rights activist, for her insights on democracy versus communism and the CCP's global ambitions. The full episode is available on our partner platform, Apoc TV. To sign up, click the link down below. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. See you soon. Coming up, democracy versus communism, illustrated through a poignant look back at the Tiananmen Square massacre on June 4, 1989. As unarmed students demanded democracy and transparency, the Chinese communist regime responded with tanks. What happened on that day and what was it like? We sat down with Shen Xue, journalist, writer and human rights activist, for her insights on democracy versus communism and the CCP's global ambitions. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. What's the difference between democracy and communism? The Tiananmen Square massacre on June 4, 1989, marks a powerful example. That's the day the Chinese regime's military unleashed weapons of war on unarmed student protesters as they asked for democracy. What are the event's repercussions for freedom? And what is the threat the communist model poses to the world? We speak to Sun Xue, journalist, writer, and human rights activist, for more. Sun Xue, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me here. Right now, there's been a lot of talk about, say, democracy versus communism, and you were actually personally there on June 4th, 1989, at the Tiananmen Square massacre. Bring us back to that day. What was it like? Tiananmen Square, full of tanks, and uh, it was really like a vital field. And uh, suddenly, a tank in front of us on the north side of the street rushed to us. So people run away. I was, of course, too. And, um, but the tank didn't go after us, stopped when it uh, reached the curb of the south side. And then the tank backed up. So people gathered again, and the people started to shout, uh, shouting, So suddenly, a soldier opened fire to us. It was uh, so quick because uh, people didn't have time to run. I, I just uh, lay on the ground. I think most people were just uh, laying on the ground because it wasn't any time. And uh, after the shooting, uh, stopped. I slowly raised my head to look at the soldier. He was so young and so innocent. So I was thinking, what is this? Is this our country? Is this our capital? Are them our uh, troops to protect us? Then I find out that uh, the whole world help the Chinese communists to get rid of the punishment and the boycotting from the massacre. But instead, they helped China, uh, especially from economically take off and uh, to be stronger and stronger. 
if you look at the name, it's the People's Liberation Army. It sounds like it's for the people, but instead, these are students, right, trying to stand up and call for democracy. They're not threatening anyone. They're just standing there peacefully, and yet the tanks came out and fired on the people. Yes. And I think to your point, it's demonstrating, right, it's like the communist regime isn't actually helping the Chinese people. So when yeah, you I, have... I said, uh, I said on my Twitter yesterday, I said the Chinese army, they never win any war outside China, but they are winning every war inside China to the Chinese people. So Chinese people, they really need to realize this. In terms of what needs to be done, right, what does need to be done? What is the message that should be coming out of the U.S.? Yes, you see, uh, United States, um, United States need to be very clear of this, that China is a terrorist country, terrorist regime, that you need to deal that not as a normal country, normal government, and uh, a normal partnership and uh, and or a normal economic uh, cooperator. No, of course not. What is that telling the rest of the world of China's ambitions for the rest of the world? When people were persecuted in China, a lot of people, they run to Hong Kong to hide or to use Hong Kong as a stop. Then they can be uh, rescued to somewhere. Then now, people know where to go to escape. And also, for ordinary Chinese people, even they have nowhere to shop. <laughs> because you see the economic in Hong Kong is totally different now. You're seeing some of that in the United States as well. A lot of young people especially are really supportive of the idea of socialism. What is your message to those people who do think, oh, socialism can work here? I always think that uh, for the history of human being, there were three cancers of the development, fascism and uh, terrorism and uh, communism. And the Chinese Communist Party combined the three together. And so it became very powerful, just like the COVID. I call it a CCP virus. It was so strongly and so fast to uh, spread the whole world, right? What is your hope for the future? Now we have this lesson very, very hard lesson, especially from the COVID. I think most people's life has been changed, and uh, the whole world has been changed. That the CCP virus is not stopped, no. Even though the COVID seems that it's been gone, but no. Because the real virus is the communism and the Chinese Communist power. They are not being stopped. Sun Xie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me here. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you soon.